The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. What is holding you back from what is best for your life? Worse, what is stealing what is best from your life? Let me, let me tell you a little story about an old Cherokee grandpa who was sitting down with his grandson trying to give him some lessons about life. And so he said this, he said, there are, there are two wolves warring or fighting inside of you. One wolf is evil. It's full of greed and jealousy and pride and hate and hurt. It looks out for itself. It's full of self-pity and self-indulgence. The other wolf is good. It's kind, it's compassionate. It's driven by love and sincerity and humility. And so the grandson is thinking about this lesson, this fact that there's these two wolves fighting inside of him and others. And so he finally asks his grandpa, he goes, so which one wins? He said, the one that you feed. So my challenge to you is this, what you feed grows. So I'm going to jump in right off the bat here, and that's what we're going to talk about today. What we feed grows. Let me challenge you. The hardest person you will ever have to lead will be yourself. If you oversee staff members, if you have employees, if you work with people, the hardest person for you to ever work with will be yourself. If you're maybe having a conflict in your home, maybe in your marriage. By the way, you're not married if you don't have a conflict in your marriage. (laughs) Just thought I'd throw that out there to give you a little bit of breath of fresh air. It, but maybe there's some challenges in your home, your roommates. The hardest person for you to ever live with will be yourself. The greatest challenge you will have will always be from within, and the worst attacks you will ever experience that will attack the dreams and the destiny that are in front of your life will always come from within. Why? Because you have temptations that lure you away and trap you to destroy you and rob you of what's best. Here's how it works. Whatever you're eating is feeding, and what you feed grows. Did you catch that? What you feed grows, and everything you're eating is feeding. You you ever heard that that little saying, you are what you eat? And so everything you eat is feeding something, and so the challenge you have to think about is this. What have I been feeding that is now growing inside of me? Turn on the news. And some of you, you are consumed with eating lots of particular types of news. And as a result, when you're eating troubling news all the time, what you're feeding are your fears. You're feeding your hurts. You're feeding anger. Let's say you get into a conversation. You know, every conversation you're eating something and you're feeding something. So let's say you get into a conversation and you are in the conversation, you're nursing an offense. You're talking about how people have hurt you and how you've been offended by someone, how things are, how how people have wronged you. And as a result, you're feeding resentment and bitterness. You're feeding your strife and your jealousy and your frustrations. When you consume entertainment, everything you're eating 
is feeding. And so if what you're allowing to entertain you is feeding laziness, then you're allowing laziness to grow inside of you. Now, not all entertainment is feeding laziness, but let's say what you're consuming is uh, pulling at all of your deepest desires. And so you're nursing those desires and they're growing inside of you in an unhealthy way. Well, the more it grows, the more it takes control. And so what is growing inside of you that has now begun to take control of your life? I wanna bring you to a story. I've been walking through the life of this guy named Joshua who took over leadership over the nation of Israel after Moses. So here, here's the context. Moses led the people of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. So talk about a slave nation. They've, for 400 years, God has been promising them that they would be uh, brought from slavery into the promised land where they would no longer have to live as nomads and they would no longer have to live on borrowed land, but God would give them their own land, their own country. And so now God uses Moses to deliver them out of Egyptian slavery. He brings them right to the border of the promised land, but they reject it. And because they reject God's promise, they spend the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness in the Arabian wilderness, Arabian desert. And finally, a generation dies off that rejected God and rejected his promises, and Moses dies with them. God raises up Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. And so the first picture I want you to get is, you know, you have all these promises of God in front of you. You have all this destiny of God in front of you. And yet there are some barriers. There's a struggle to take hold of those promises. And so throughout this series, I've been walking you through different lessons in what you have to struggle through in order to obtain the promises of God for your life, to step in to all that God has for you. And so here we are, we're at a, a next moment, a next lesson. Just before this moment, uh, the nation of Israel went to, into their first battle. It was against the city of Jericho. So this is the first enemy they're gonna face. And the lesson there was that Joshua had to learn who was gonna be the commanding officer of the nation of Israel. And so he had to know that humility precedes victory. So God's the commanding officer, not him. And so they win this incredible battle, not because they were great fighters. In fact, they never really had to draw their sword. Uh, God uh, sent them in with a crazy battle strategy that caused the walls of Jericho to collapse in on itself. And they were literally able to just go in and take the victory. But there was one command. There was one condition for this victory. They had to destroy everything. Meaning after God gave them the city, they couldn't keep anything for themselves. Well, the next battle was against the city of Ai. And that's where we're gonna jump in, Joshua chapter seven, here we go. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Avon. By the way, just some uh, little thoughts that might help you, because you might not know what these names mean. Very often as you read the Bible, you discover that there's little uh, meanings, the names have meanings. So here we go. The city of Ai, it means the ruins. So if you're going to go to battle against a city that's called the ruins, you feel like you have an advantage, all right? Because they're already kind of defeated. They're already kind of broken, which is near Beth Avon, the valley of wickedness. So the ruins near wickedness, which is east of Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. And Joshua told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and they spied out I. And when they returned to Joshua, they said, eh, not all the people will have to go up. I mean, this is 
against Ai, this city of ruins, and it's a small city. There's only about 12,000 people there. They're not very strong. They're not very powerful. So we're telling you just send two or 3,000 men to take it and not weary all of the people for only a few men are there. First time in nation of Israel's history where they do not consult God for a battle strategy. 40 years when they were in the wilderness and in the desert, they actually fought battles. Joshua led all of those battles. And then when they go to Jericho, they ask God for a battle strategy. They humble themselves and they gain a victory. This is the first time where they do not consult God. They just in pride do what they think is best. And they assume that because God gave them a victory in the past, he will give them a victory in the present. And so they do not consult God. First time that they do not ask God for a battle plan. And here's the result. Well, they go against, a, against I. They send two or 3,000 uh, soldiers against I. And we'll jump to the next passage because you now see what the results are. The, pe the men of Ai chased the Israelites from the city gates as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. Rather than going in and thinking you could have victory over the ruins, the ruins have victory over them. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. In the season we're in, you can, at times, you can feel not only defeated, but you can see the defeat all around you. And the result is that you feel, your hearts begin to feel like they are melting. Your confidence melts away. Your courage melts away. Your faith in God begins to melt away like water. And so what do you do? Well, Joshua tore his clothes in an act of contrition and repentance and fear and, and being desperate before God. He fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord and remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and they sprinkled dust on their heads. And the Lord responded to Joshua. So they're in desperation. They're saying, God, what's going on? And they fall before God. And what, what you discover is that when you lack humility, you get humiliated. When there's a lack of humility that leads to desperation, then humiliation will lead to desperation. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. I don't need you groveling on the ground. What are you doing on your face, down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant. They turned their back on me. They rejected the right way of living. They rejected my commands and they have violated my love, my forever love covenant with you. I haven't rejected you. You have rejected my love, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. I told you to destroy everything, but you didn't. You took some of it. If any of you take something, then all of you are guilty. They have stolen, they have lied, they have put them with their own possessions. God corrects Joshua and the nation of Israel and he says, no, you guys have done wrong. You don't need to, you don't need to fall face down in self-pity and in humiliation. You need to get up and recognize that you have done wrong. And the nation of Israel sinned and it led to defeat. Well, what is sin? Sin is something that lives inside of every one of us. It's a wolf that's growing more and more powerful. And unfortunately, every one of us lived defeated, having been grasped by the jaws of this evil, this sin, which is rejecting God, turning our back 
back on God and God's love. God has not abandoned us. God has not forsaken us. He has not betrayed us. We have forsaken God, rejected God, and betrayed him, believing that what feels good is good. Sin will lead to defeat and ruin because we, don't, we no longer listen to God's ways and what God says is best. We do what we think is best. And as a result, it leads to our own judgment, our own ruin, and not just death, but a forever judgment far from God. But this story isn't just about judgment and how we all can put ourselves in the camp of, you know, feeling like we fall face down before God. God, what is wrong? I feel defeated. Joshua stands up and he calls out the wrong. And so we're going to jump into the continuation of the story. Then Joshua said to Achan, they found out who was the one that had done this wrong. He calls out Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. He goes, you need to bow and worship God because God has seen everything we've done. You need to lift his name above every name. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, it's true. I always like it, you know, when you catch your kids doing something, you're like, Tell me what you've done. I didn't do anything. I saw you. Okay. That's this moment. It's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. Now listen to this carefully. Because what he did is what we do. This is our pattern of how we wreck our lives. This is what's stealing what's best from our life and holding back what's best in the future of our life. Here's what I've done. When I saw, first thing we do is we see, in the plunder, a beautiful robe, we see something we want. We, we, we see what feels good. I saw a beautiful robe, so he saw some clothing from Babylonia. 200 shekels of silver, I saw a bunch of money, and a giant wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I mean, this is more value than what we can even imagine. And I coveted them, I wanted them. I saw what I shouldn't want, and I wanted it anyway. And so I took them. I saw, I wanted, so I took. And they are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. You hear it? I saw, I wanted, so I took, then I had to hide it. I had to cover it up. And you and I all know that process because every one of us have done it. We saw something we shouldn't have looked at. We wanted what we shouldn't have wanted. So we took it and then we had to cover it up. The lesson in this is if, like the nation of Israel, you want victory over the ruins, you want to go from a valley of wickedness into the house of God, and you want to live the life of God's best for your life, then you need to experience purity before promotion. What may be holding you back from the promotion of God, from the best of God, from the victory of God in your life, is purity that needs to precede promotion. This is not meant to discourage or defeat you or leave you groveling in self-pity or a feeling of judgment, just the opposite. I wanna give you an encouragement, before, but before the encouragement, I gotta give you the bad news. You and I don't just have an evil wolf living inside of us. There is sin and there is evil that's raging in us because from the moment we were born, there was already sin in control of our life. And so it's not like good and evil are warring. You and I have surrendered to evil and it has dominated our life and our decisions. But God, God was unwilling to leave you and I defeated, clenched in the jaws of that evil wolf. So he came to rescue us from sin, from wickedness, from evil, and from forever judgment. He took on the bite of that wolf of sin. He, he was willing to die in the 
jaws of our death, absorbing our eternal judgment so that Jesus died once for all, so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sins, guilt and shame removed, but because Jesus not only died, he tore open the jaws of sin, he freed us from that death, so that when you believe in Jesus, you believe that he died, yes. You believe that he rose from the dead, victorious over evil, over death, and over eternal judgment. So when I believe in Jesus by faith, God's spirit comes into my spirit. And when God's spirit's alive in my spirit, I can begin to live a new life. I can begin to feed the good and starve the evil. But you can't do this on your own. This is the key. This is the principle. Feed the good, starve the evil. But without Jesus giving us victory over evil, we will never be able to resist the evil and feed the good. And so this needs to begin with a commitment to Jesus. For every one of us, a commitment to Jesus. But if you've never taken that first step of saying yes to Jesus, can I encourage you right now? If you know there's something holding you back from what's best and stealing what's best in your life, would you make a first step of saying yes to Jesus? And if you are saying yes to Jesus, would you text his name. Text Jesus to 41411. This number goes directly to us. Our team of pastors is there. They will send you a quick reply. Don't worry, they're not going to harass you with all kinds of information. One reply to encourage you to begin this new journey in relationship with Jesus. Now you've said yes to Jesus, and many of you have said yes to Jesus, and it's one thing to have to believe in Jesus by faith. It's a very different thing to starve the evil and feed the good. So let me talk about that. How do you starve the evil and feed the good? Well, I'm gonna give you a couple brief steps. First is this. We starve our inner evil desires when we confess them. Joshua falls face down. He's acknowledging their pride. He's acknowledging that they did not seek God and it led to their defeat. But then God says, get up, you've sinned. And so there's this moment where he has to call Achan out and say, what have you done? And Achan has to confess the sin. And the only way to starve the evil is by beginning with the confession of what I've done wrong. Why is this important? Because when we confess what is wrong, we're acknowledging God, your ways are the right ways. You know best, you know what is good, and I am admitting that where I have gone and what I have done is not best. It's acknowledging that it is, uh, it is not right versus left, it is right versus wrong, and God, I'm acknowledging that you are right and I am not. I'm acknowledging that I've pursued evil desires that have led to my ruin, and your desires are better when we confess our sin, when we confess what is wrong in our life, it literally begins to free us from the darkness that has lived in us. Why? Because you're turning on a light. The moment you turn on the light, darkness has to disperse. The moment you acknowledge what is wrong, you are freed and the grip of evil begins to loosen in your life. You have to tell someone. You gotta, you gotta talk to God first and foremost. I confess to God. Here, here's a passage. Uh, it's written by one of the friends and followers of Jesus. His name was John. And in his first letter, he writes this. If we confess our sins, so that's our part. What can we do? We confess our sins. God, I've wrong. I've done wrong. I've, I, I've said wrong things. I've done wrong things. I've acted in a way that does not please you. He, 
God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So when we confess our sins, that's our part. What is God's part? Well, we're appealing to the character of God who is faithful and just, and here's what he does every time. He forgives and he purifies, right? It's purity that leads to promotion. Well, you and I are not starting out from a posture of purity, but when we confess, God forgives and then he purifies. He cleanses our heart. He begins to wash us and renew us and remove the guilt and the shame. He transforms us. And as he transforms us, he begins to reorient our desires so that we want what God wants. When we confess, what we're saying is God I recognize that I have wrongly believed that the bait that the enemy of my soul has dangled in front of me was good for me. But now I acknowledge that the bait is bad and the temptation is a trap and those pleasures lead to pain. I admit my wrongdoing. It's no one else's fault. There's no one else to point at and blame. I acknowledge it. I look in at my own life and I say, God, you were right and I've done wrong. Would you forgive me and make me right? Cleanse me and purify my heart. Let me challenge and encourage you. As people who love Jesus, as the church, we need a season of repentance. You know what will transform our nation and heal our land? I don't necessarily mean of the coronavirus. I mean of the things that plague our nation. I'll appeal to you. Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse 14. God is speaking of the nation of Israel and he says, he's talking about when plagues and devastation hit your land. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. What you and I need is a season of repentance. We're not calling out anyone else. We're willing to come before God and say, God, forgive me of my wrong. I acknowledge where I've strayed. Here's another verse. It says in the Bible, it says it's God's goodness that leads to repentance. It is not God's judgment, it's not his anger, it's not his wrath that provokes us to repent. It is his mercy, his love, and his goodness that draws us and invites us into repentance because we know that when we repent, we're forgiven and we're cleansed of all of that wrongdoing. But don't stop there. The next step is this. We, have, we starve our inner evil when we course correct. You got to course correct. It, it, the word repent actually means to turn away from. So think about it like this. You, you're driving down the road and you make a wrong turn onto going the wrong way on a one-way street. I'm teaching my, kid, uh, my daughters how to drive. And so this is not an unlikely scenario. I do my best to try to direct them. But you, you turn the wrong way on a one-way street and, and, and then you go, oh no, we're going the wrong way. That's confession. It's admitting I've gone the wrong way, but that's not repentance. Repentance actually does a three-point turn or does a, let's not go there. Um, it turns around and goes the right way. That's repentance. So we confess, God forgive, now I repent and I turn around and I begin to go the right way. For you and I, we, we follow the example of Joshua where he calls out Achan and he says, what we're doing is wrong. We need to repent. We need to destroy what we've wrongly stolen. 
And then we need to seek God in repentance and say, God, now you give us the battle strategy. Repentance means I acknowledge that God's ways are the right way. So I'm asking God to help me want what he wants so that, listen to me carefully, so that I hate what God hates. God hates sin. And I love only what God loves. So that I want to do what pleases God and I would never want to do the things that displease God. So that what comes out of my mouth and what comes out of my life is a lifestyle of God. I want to please you and you alone. I want to obey you and you alone. I want your spirit to direct my life rather than my own desires and my own instincts. So I'm gonna want what you want, believing that what you want is best for my life. That's the course correction. That's a turning away from and turning toward, turning toward what God says is good and what God says is right and best. But don't stop there. That's just a starving of the evil. And every time you confess and every time you course correct, evil that's lurking in your heart is weakened. It's losing its grip, it's growing weaker and weaker. Every time you resist evil, it's losing its strength. Every time you confess evil, it's losing its power. Every time you course correct, the grip of evil in your heart and life is weakening. But don't stop there. What you don't want to, you don't want to just starve evil. You want to feed the good. And so let me jump into the story here. Let's continue. Here we go. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not, I love this part. Then the Lord said to Joshua, right? Joshua's listening for God. He's seeking God. He's asking God for his battle strategy. God says to him, do not be afraid. Okay, you've repented. You've confessed. Now you don't have to live in fear anymore. You don't have to worry that what happens to you next is God's judgment against you. The way that you do not fear is live a lifestyle of starving evil and feeding good. He said, do not fear and do not be discouraged. Some of you are beat down and you're discouraged right now. You can be encouraged and strengthened knowing God is for you, not against you because you're walking in obedience to God. Take the whole army. Now you get the strategy of God. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack I, for I, am de- I have delivered into your hands the king of I, his people, his city, and his land. Interestingly, when they go up against, this, against the city of I, they were camped in the valley of Achan. And the valley of Achan, the name means valley of troubles because they got themselves into a lot of trouble. They did some dumb things. They disregarded God. But now they're leaving the valley of trouble and they're gonna conquer the city of ruin because God is giving them his promises. And some of you all, you need to leave the valley of trouble. You need to overcome the ruins and you need to get into the promises of God by feeding what is good in your life. I wanna challenge you to feed what is best and what is good and what is God. Well, how do you feed what is good? It's recognizing that what God has in store for you is better than anything you want for your life. That God knows what's best and he wants what's best. And so here's what you and I are gonna do. We're gonna recognize that there is nothing in all of my life that God cannot forgive. There's nothing that's stronger and greater than God. There's no sin you've ever done that is more powerful than God. So God is greater and stronger and he wants to forgive and he wants to free and he wants to give you his promises. And so I have to then trust God. I have to trust that God knows best and he wants best even when I can't see it and even when I don't feel it. Here's the thing. Don't believe all of your feelings. Your feelings will lie to you. Don't believe it all. You have to trust God more than your feelings, more than what your eyes are seeing. And so if you're not getting what you believe is best, you're trusting that if God doesn't get you what you want, he's holding it back because he has something better in store for you. That's trusting God. You can clap. You can clap online. All right. 
Not only am I trusting God, but I'm yielding to God, right? If I trust God, then I'm yielding to God. I'm saying, all right, God, your way. I told you I'm teaching my daughters how to drive. And um, I, one of them, they, they think that they're driving like in that movie Onward. And they're like, Aah! I'm like, hold up. Now I grew up, I learned how to drive in New York. And New York drivers, they, we don't yield per se. We find a spot and we put our car there. And so, you know, again, and you have to because, you know, in New York, they're not going to let you in. So you don't use your blinker. You just swerve in and you just make space. And you, and you kind of have to have this mentality of like, you want to protect your car more than I care about my car. That's how, that's how you drive. And, but in Maryland, we don't drive like that. We, you know, you show some courtesy. And so I'm teaching my girls how to yield. One of them, she's like, Rrr! I'm like, no, you got to let the car in front of you. You got to let that car that's doing 70 miles an hour go by. And then you got to get up to speed and find a spot. By the way, this is a quick lesson for all of you. Please, I'm doing 70. Let me go by and then you pull in behind me. Don't pull in front of me doing 45. Okay, thank you. That's very personal. All right, but God's on the highway and he's trying to lead you into the promises of God. And some of you, you pull up doing 80 and you're like, forget God. I want what I want. And then you wonder why you're looking around going, where is God? Because he's, you blew right by him. And then it leads to ruin and destruction and defeat. When I yield, I don't want you doing 30 miles an hour either. Putting along, and where's God? God's like, would you catch up? No, you and I, we get in and we merge behind God. God's ways, God's best. Well, how do you know what God's best is? How do you know what to yield to? Spend time in God's presence. Spend time in God's word. So you're praying, you're studying and reading the word of God. You're spending time in worship and time alone with God, acknowledging the supremacy of God in your life, acknowledging the sovereignty of God in your life, acknowledging that God's ways are the best ways and God knows what's best for your life. And so you, as you spend time in God's presence, you learn to yield to God and you trust his leadership and then finally, this needs to be a daily practice, right? When's the best time to prepare for battle? Before the battle. Our worship team, it's an amazing job. You know, they're not gonna stay after in practice. They showed up early to practice. Tune the instruments, make sure things are right. Make sure all the mics work, right? You, you do a mic check before the service, not after. Why? For you and I, we got to get ready for the day and the battle before we get started. So for you and I, I'm going to feed the good first thing in the morning. I'm going to get up before my day begins, and I'm going to spend time in God's presence, spend time in God's word, spend time in worship, saying, God, the battle is yours. I need your strength. I want to feed what's good and starve what's evil. So let me challenge you. I referenced that a verse. It's God's goodness that leads to repentance. God's goodness is at work in your life in this place. He wants to lead you to repentance. And if, if we would confess our sins, turn from our wicked ways, and God would hear from heaven, and heal our land. You want a healing in our nation? We want a transformation in the world that we live in. It's going to begin right here in this moment at a very personal level with you confessing and course correcting, saying, God, forgive me of my wrongdoing, not against anyone else, but against you and you alone. And when we learn to confess and repent, then God would hear from heaven and he would heal our land. What our nation needs is Christians and the church who know how to repent and put our face before God in desperation and say, God, forgive me. I 
did you forgive anybody else? Forgive me of my sin because it's against you and you alone that I have sinned. And God will hear and heal. And then we can say, God, in worship, would you feed what is good and right so I can walk in the blessing of the Lord? So I'm going to encourage you right now. Would you take this moment? Would you pray? You've listened to me. Now would you take a moment? Those of you that are joining us online, wherever you're doing, stop multitasking right now. And would you listen? Would you repent? Allow God to speak to you and reveal those hidden, those things that you saw and you took because you wanted it and then you hid it. Those hidden places in your heart, let God expose it to the light so that you can repent, so that you can be healed, so that you can bring healing to your land. And then don't walk out of here, don't end this moment in grief and just in repentance, but in a moment of worship, would you then allow God's goodness to overwhelm you? and strengthen you and renew you. Would you take a moment and pray? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.